Welcome. This is My Truth is a platform for honest, open conversations. The stories I share or that others share are often not spoken about or discussed, but once told, I believe they have the ability to shine a light on another perspective or a much needed conversation. These stories may make us laugh, some may make us cry, but together we will learn from one another and begin to heal. Because walls need to be torn down, masks need to come off, stories need to be heard in order for our truths to be told. This is my truth. Will you tell me yours? Hello, hello, podcast world. Welcome back to This Is My Truth. I'm your host, Jesse Sherleff. And today I share with you a podcast episode that I did with my friend and mentor, Heather Chauvin. And you may remember that Heather was one of my very first guests on the podcast. And I talk about her and her program a lot because it has provided me with so much insight and clarity and change in my own life, both personally and professionally. Um, And she has recently pivoted her podcast to what is called emotionally uncomfortable. And I just, first of all, I just love that concept, right? Like emotionally uncomfortable. So often we want to avoid being emotionally uncomfortable, myself included. But in pivoting her podcast, she has also encouraged people to use the art of storytelling to create connection. And so in this conversation with her, I share a story that I've not shared yet um, with many people. I've shared bits and pieces of it on this podcast, but really diving into one of those moments that provided clarity. And we, we really dive into a lot of the not this, not this, not this, and how you actually tune in and to listen to that voice. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Heather on her podcast, Emotionally Uncomfortable. I highly recommend that you check out her podcast if you haven't already. It is a great podcast to just you know, hear those hard truths in a way that kicks your ass, but is loving and understanding and all the things. So if you've ever had that moment of, of not this, then this is a podcast conversation for you because Heather and I really dive into this conversation and this topic on her podcast, Emotionally Comfortable. So I hope you enjoy and check out future episodes of her podcast at Emotionally Uncomfortable. Enjoy. Go and ready. Are you sure you want her to do that? Is that enough of a consequence? My daughter's principal's voice is echoing in my ear. I'm sitting in my new fertility doctor's waiting room, tears streaming down my face, getting caught in my mask as I try to make sense of the phone call I received and the question being asked. Are you sure? She asked again. I'm flooded by a wave of emotions, exhaustion, anger, disbelief, sadness, shame. To be honest, I've never been in this situation before and haven't considered what would be an appropriate consequence. Given the consequence you deemed appropriate, taking away gym and recess, yes, I'm going to allow her to go to her after-school activity. I respond, attempting to keep my voice from shaking. At that moment, my name is called to go into the sonography room. I'm sorry, I say to the sonographer, my daughter's principal just called as I attempt to clear the tears from my face. She nods an understanding and then proceeds to tell me about the procedure, a saline ultrasound they're about to do. I struggle to pay attention, the overpowering emotions from the phone call making it difficult to focus on what she's saying. 
I undress and lay back down in a haze. You may feel severe cramping, she says, as the procedure begins, but all that is running through my mind is the conversation that I just had. Flashbacks to similar moments in the past come back to me, fast and furious. The moment, when we were, the moment when we were told my daughter was no longer welcome at a previous school. Every moment where I've ever had to discuss her behavior at the playground, at school, at friends and family's houses. The voice in my head is so loud. You're a failure. Being a mom is your only job right now and you failed. Failed at raising a child who fits in. You're failing, you're failing, you're failing. The tears continue to stream down my face and it's not lost on me that as the tears are dripping down my face, there's also saline dripping out of my vagina from the procedure. Next to the you're failing voice, the question of what am I even doing keeps running through my head. What am I even doing considering adding a third kid to our family when I barely have control over what's going on? But there's also a smaller voice that's just as insistent fighting to come out in the forefront telling me not this not this. I will not accept this for Lucy. I will not accept this for myself. The appointment ends and I head back to my car, exhausted and overwhelmed, both mentally and physically. I pause. I've been here before. And if I'm honest with myself, I will likely be here again, feeling pushed into a corner with my only options, either to roll over and do as they say, or come out swinging as the overprotective mama bear. Neither of those options feels aligned to me. I want support. I want team. I want to feel seen and heard. I want my daughter to feel seen and heard. I know what needs to be done. In the past, I would have buried my emotions. My walls would have come up. I would have figured out how to handle this on my own and I wouldn't have shared what I was experiencing or what I was feeling with anyone. Now, I text a new neighbor that mentioned she's been down this path before. I ask if she'd be willing to jump on a call with me. I email my therapist and ask for resources. I cry on my husband's shoulder as he holds me, taking comfort in both our emotions. I reach out to friends I know who have, who have neurodiverse children and share what is going on. I reach out to the principal and ask for the person and ask for an in-person meeting to get to know each other and better understand her perspective. Reclaiming my own voice in order to speak my own truths has been a long journey for me with ebbs, flows, peaks, and valleys. But if there's one truth that I know to be sure, it's that I want my daughters to know the power of their own voices, the power of owning their stories, to know that while one voice can make an impact, they do not need to do it on their own. Advocacy comes in all shapes and forms. For me, advocacy is about the ability to see all the perspectives and viewpoints and creating space for all voices to be seen and heard so that we can move the ball forward together. I just want to cry because I love you so much. Feelings mutual. And yeah, I, well, I've heard lots of your stories because I think you're Jesse, the amazing storyteller. <laughs> and I haven't heard this one and so many things that I want to say, but how, yeah, this is not your first, not this moment. Mm -hmm. told stories previously that start with not this not this and so what is it like feeling like you're in another not this moment you're like I've been here in a different scenario and I know I'm going to be here again talk a little bit about that yeah so 
I'm somebody, I mean, I often joke that um, it's taken me a long time to sort of like reconnect with myself and my not this often has to be like a shout. Um, like some people can hear it as a whisper. It takes me a really, a really long time to, to hear it. And I think in this particular instance, what was really interesting about my not this was that it was, it didn't need to be a shout. It was, I was able to sort of recognize in the moment of it's the choice that I'm about to make is is the choice that I'm making for myself, for my family, for my child. And it doesn't have to be one path or the other. It can be a, an alternative path that I'm, I'm willing to forge for myself. And yes, it might be harder. And yes, it might be um, more cumbersome, but it feels, that feels the most aligned. And, and so for me, the not this is always a good reminder of Am I actually listening to what I want and what um, I think is best for me and my family in this moment? Or am I letting other people dictate for me what, what should happen? Mm -hmm. And so in this story, you're talking about your daughter, Lucy. Mm -hmm. And I know that one of your other not this moments was regarding your marriage. Yeah is this, I'm not going to say, is this one easier to lean into, but what is that relationship of like, oh, this is a relationship with my partner, my husband. I can kind of avoid that a little bit because it's me. But then when that mama bear comes out for like, not this, like how, you know, the whole podcast is about being emotionally uncomfortable. How is your emotional reaction to that? Those two, not this. Well, that's a really good question. And I've never thought about it because another not this moment was also when I, in relation to my youngest daughter and I'm um, ultimately decided to leave my job, right? And so I think about all of those not this moments in what I think made this not this moment um, easier to listen to without sort of like fighting the, the, inner, the inner voices more so than I have was, was where I am and sort of like my perspective of, of growth. Um, the, the, not this moment that you mentioned with regards to my husband, that was still early on in sort of my growth. And I think that made it a lot harder um, in that I wasn't yet as confident in myself and my voice that, as I am now. And so, you know, and I think in five years from now, when I have, you know, 20 more, not this moments, it'll, it'll be a very different story at that point too. And so I think each of those moments was emotionally uncomfortable in its own Right. And so I don't know if it's just like, I don't know if I can answer if, it is, if it's easier or not, mm -hmm. just that looking back on all of these moments, they had like, they were happening at the right time at the right place to teach me like the lesson that I needed right then and there. And, but it was still hard and it, and it gets a little bit easier in different ways each time, if that makes sense. Yeah. And what I'm hearing you say is one, yes, you're a different person today than when you were. And we have, I'm sure you've had a lot more, not this moments previously, but yes. again, we're like, well, yeah, I just didn't start paying attention to them until like 20, you know, 2010 or something. I don't know. <laughs> that um, we think people are like, tell me about your pivotal rock bottom moments. I'm like, I think we've all had many, but exactly. the ones where like the light switch goes on they were like, oh, this happened six months ago. And you're like, no, it's been there for a while. We're just not listening. Exactly. Um, and I really love 
Jesse, that you're taught, you're like, and I'm going to have many more like that acceptance of the imperfection of life. And you are very familiar with my work and being emotionally uncomfortable, which brings me so much joy, (laughs) so much joy. Um, And it is that duality of like choosing joy and freedom and what you want and desire and knowing that the contrast is always going to be there. The not this, the another wave of emotion, children, uncertainty, all of that is going to be there. Um, I want to ask you so many questions, but I find it interesting that you are raising these females, these little pistols that are just screaming at you like, I'm going to be my own person and I am not going to fit into anyone else's definition of who I need to be as you are trying to figure out who you are from a professional standpoint of like leaving corporate, starting your own thing, like trying to navigate all of that. Yeah. What's that been like for you? Yeah. I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot, my kids are my mirrors, right? They, they, reflect back to me everything that I need to work on myself. And, um, you know, the acceptance of recognizing that they are their own humans and they're never going to fit into a box. Um, I have one neurodiverse child and one who we believe currently is neurotypical. Um, and diverse. Yes. Neurotypical. Can you just explain that for people who might not know? Yeah, for sure. So neurodiverse, and I, to be completely honest, don't know like the textbook definition, but, um, you know, the, my, my daughter has been formally diagnosed with ADHD and sensory processing disorders, which, um, you know, the label in and of itself for me, I was actually just having this conversation earlier today the label doesn't matter. Like my day-to-day has not changed. Um, I have a high intensity child. Um, she goes from zero to 60 very quickly and all emotions good and big. And, um, and so the label has helped me, you know, have common language with people in the medical field and in the education field, but it has not changed my, my day-to-day. Um, we often, you know, she's not aware of her diagnosis. We have made that decision not to tell her her diagnosis yet, but we do have a lot of conversations around how everyone's brains are different. Everyone digests information differently. So neurodiversity, um, to me, means, you know, your brain is taking in information that is, um, in a a non-typical way than a quote unquote, typical brain. And so then my other daughter currently we believe is, is neurotypical. So her, the way that she takes in information tends to be more on the quote unquote, typical side. We can have a whole sidebar conversation around, you know, what we're just talking about, like fitting into boxes and, (laughs) and these labels. Um, but we so badly want our children to fit into a box when in reality, we want them to be their unique selves and knowing when to (laughs) advocate or knowing when to like try to fit them in a box or get them support. And then rather than just being like, no, that's just you. (laughs) A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, you know, I often think about how it's ebbs and flows, right? It's it's what we might need in this one moment is maybe not what 
myself or my, my family is going to need in the next moment or even the next breath. And so getting really comfortable being uncomfortable, mm -hmm. I mean, has been, a, you've had a front seat, seat, <laughs> front row seat to, to that, right? I mean, the first time we started working together, I remember just saying, I like, I just want to feel <laughs> like I haven't felt like, I really don't even know what it is necessary to like feel. And then I'm handed a daughter who I fought so hard to have, um, who has huge emotions and I didn't know how to deal with that. And so to circle back in a very long winded way to your original question, but it, it really has been this mirror to me of recognizing, well, if I don't want them to be labeled, if I don't want them to be put into a box, I have to become comfortable with myself not being put into a box, with myself not being labeled, or being comfortable recognizing that there are labels that I'm putting in myself consciously or unconsciously, and I have the choice of like when I want to, to lean into that label and when I don't. Yeah, and the unlearning never stops, because yeah. in your story, you were also, you said something about... Um, I am failing, right? Well, you said you are a failure. I'm failing, I'm failing. My only job right now is to be a mother. And it's like, yeah, we won't Byron Katie that and say, are you failing? What is that <laughs> like? But also like, let's have that conversation around identity. That seems to be a common theme this year of like identity, right? Like who I'm supposed to be. Um, and then that's my only job right now. And I know that that's also a big struggle for a lot of women who or who are the primary caregiver, uh, especially during the day, and they're not working outside of the home. It's like, this is literally the only thing I have to do right now. I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing. Yeah. I mean, I will say, you know, that, that piece in particular, that like taking off the label of the corporate person and becoming a stay at home mom, or at least a mom that is working within the home, um, has been really, it has been a journey and it hasn't been an easy journey for me. I think for me in particular, I was really successful in my corporate career. I took a lot of pride in that success. I hung more than I realized um, in terms of like my own identity to that label. And when it was taken away from me by my choice, let's be very clear, I made that choice um, and I'm very privileged to have been able to make that choice. Um, it was really hard for me to um, reconcile who I was without all of those labels. And society, right, has then labeled me as a stay-at-home mom. And it honestly wasn't, so I quit my job in January, 2021. It wasn't until like a month and a half ago that I actually felt comfortable telling people that I was a stay-at-home mom, which has been really interesting because we, you know, moved our family across the country and so I've been reintroducing myself to all these new people and like stumbling across like, well, what do you do? And so for me, you know, again, like what we've been saying, it, it's a journey. I think that I've had really had to reconcile. Um, the question I've been asking myself is who am I at my core, right? Who am I when I am 
most happy? Who am I when I feel most aligned to me? You know, and for me, that's um, being at the beach and like soaking up the sun, that's um, running in the rain and like being a child, child-esque again, like pretend and playing and really getting back to some of those things that fulfill me um, without all of the different labels. And I think in doing so and being on that journey, it's allowed my, and I talk about it. Like I talk about it with my husband. I talk about it with my friends. I talk about it with my kids. And I think that's allowed them to sort of see my own journey and realize, you know, it's, it's not, you don't wake up one day and you decide you're going to be this person. It's a compilation of all those moments that you then lean into or make the decision of what you're willing to lean into and what you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, I always get so triggered when people are like, what do you do? I'm like, and then this, I'm like, who are you? Like, Mm -hmm. I always say I'm, I'm a soul having a human experience. And then I typically lose people because I'm like, it actually is incredibly overwhelming when you think about it. Cause it's fluid as well. And we evolve and every, a lot of these conversations I've been having as well, especially with women who transitioned out of corporate or in life in general. I think becoming a mother is an identity crisis in itself and a trans transition. Um, but they often say when there is this, I just, we, again, it's redefining, right? But it's funny because people are like, what do you do? And I'm like, I don't want to answer that question. Like who, I actually pay attention to the person and I'm like, what do they want me to say? Mm-hmm. Does this person actually care? Because most of the time, like my neighbor said to me the other day, and he's never going to listen to this. Maybe, maybe another neighbor will. He's like, how's your little book doing? And, and then someone's like, isn't that like degrading? And I said, he, I don't think that was his intention, but I didn't get triggered by it. I just said, really good. Thanks for asking. And that was the end of the conversation because I knew he actually didn't really, I'm not saying he didn't care. He was trying to cultivate a connection. And then as humans, we get awkward with like, what do I say to this person? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oh, how's your, I know she has a book. Okay. I have no idea. Oh. And then I said something about like, great. I have this other event coming up. And he's like, oh yeah, you gotta go. You gotta get all those moms. And I was like, whatever, buddy. So it's just funny because as humans, we're so awkward in trying to cultivate connection. So let's talk about connection. I was like, where the hell is this conversation going to go? I'm like, Heather, you're losing it. Okay. Trying to cultivate connection. You talk about being seen and heard, right? Mm -hmm. Seen and heard. And here we are as human beings, just trying to cultivate connection with ourselves, with our children, with other humans and yet we find it so incredibly awkward and then we try to put a label and an elevator pitch and a title and a niche and market it and communicate to our partners blah blah parenting strategies all this shit what is your like definition on connection cultivating because I know you're big in that as well yeah so I mean I truly believe that um, connection is one of our superpowers as humans. I think so often though, for a variety of reasons, we, we don't leverage it as, as our superpower. And, um, in that same breath, I think empathy goes, goes hand in hand there. And 
the easiest way that I have found to lean into both of those superpowers is curiosity. And I don't mean like curiosity of, you know, asking questions for questions sake. I mean, like being genuinely curious about what, about the other person on the other end. So to go back to my story, right, there's, I I put a line in there of like, I asked for an in-person meeting with the principal. It would have been really easy for me. And, and if I'm honest, like every bone in my body was like screaming at me to like berate this woman. Um, because right. That the protective bear mama bear in me was, was coming out, but it would have been really easy for me to just, um, not think about her as a player, as part of the team. But the reality is, is she is a player. She is a stakeholder. She is someone who I need to get to understand and know, and she needs to be seen and heard just like I do. And so I asked for that in-person meeting so that I could have that conversation. And, and, you know, we're new, we're new to the state, we're new to this town, we're new to the school district. She doesn't know me from, you know, the next person and I don't know her. And so it, it was really important for me to, um, build that rapport, build that relationship, build that connection so that I can understand where she's coming from and she can understand where I'm coming from. And I think connection is so important because so often, right? Like think about your own interactions with people when you feel like you're being brushed off or think about our children's behaviors, right? So my youngest just turned four and when she's asking, trying to get my attention and I'm in the middle of doing something and I don't pause and acknowledge her and then like say, hey, I'm, I'm doing something, but I will come back to you. If I just ignore her, her, her behaviors escalate. And yeah. of course they escalate because her basic needs of being seen and, and, and heard are not being met. And it's, I think it's the same, not I think, I know it's the same as adults, but we don't put the same words around it. And our behaviors um, are often justifiable in our head. Um, But that's, I I think that we would be in a much better place as humankind if we just acknowledged that um, at the end of the day, all of us are are trying to be seen and heard and maybe we're not approaching it in the right way but if we just take that pause and really try to get to know a person for who they they truly are um to me that's what connection is yeah as you're telling this story i my brain and i of course you know that i have equal values as you around connection and empathy and the lack of it in places where we think it should already be cultivated. Mm-hmm. Education, as an example, with children, which is really frustrating when you are a parent who already is carrying the load of responsibility of all the things, and you're putting your child in somebody else's care in a system, regardless of the system or private, public, whatever. Um, with other adults that do not cultivate the same values because we live in a culture of go, 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 hustle, pressure, expectation. And then it also brings up this conversation of diversity and advocacy. Mm -hmm. So neurodiverse, which just means, I don't even want to call it different, 
But it's funny because we're all different, whether we can shove ourselves in that box or not and be quiet and suppress how we feel. Um, now I was like, oh, now I'm going to go down a tangent because one of my children, all three of them have their own ways of being in the world. But one of them definitely has neurodiversity. I would say all three of them do in their own way. Um, but his behaviors are very calm in demeanor. So he slides under the radar in class because he's not behavioral. Mm-hmm. So he's one of the good kids when in reality, he doesn't understand what's going on. And he just, you know, it's the fight or flight. He fawns, right? Like he just goes within. So it's so intriguing to me, this, this um, judgment that adults place on children when they are in the position of power to support and educate children. So for me, that's a trigger as I'm sure it is for you because so how in those moments, and I think this is going to be a great learning opportunity for people that are listening. How in those moments do you choose and why do you choose to say, I'm the one that's going to cultivate connection, even though I'm not really the person in quote unquote power or that leadership role that should be creating that connection. Why do you really make that um, a priority for you? It's such a good question. And I think for me, what I've learned about myself is for so long, I didn't let my voice be heard. Um, I was that person who would like swallow my words when I was in an uncomfortable conversation. I would not speak up, even though I felt very strongly a different way. And so for me, what I'm learning about myself is being seen and heard is actually advocating for myself. And so for me in those moments where it would be so easy for me, like my instinct would be just to roll over and not say anything. That's actually even more important for me to sort of lean in and, um, and have a voice and, and, and advocate for both myself and my family, because I'm learning about myself that, that is one of my, like, if this was a love language, that would be my love language. And so what would be um, your love language? Like being able to use my voice to be Mm. seen and heard. And so to me in those instances, I choose connection. And I think I was talking to someone about this recently. I think sometimes people hear the word advocacy or they hear like speaking your truth and they think that I'm automatically going to be an asshole. And I was actually just going to say that, not say that, but I was going to bring that up because there is stigma around advocacy. Yes. Right. Like they automatically, and granted I am from New York. I can be direct. I can, I have like both the masculine and feminine, like, and I probably, not, I probably, I present more masculine energy and, and I know that. I have such a different experience of you. (laughs) You've never seen me at work. Um, but And so, but, but I'm able to recognize that in myself and I understand when I need to push and when I need to pull back. So let me give an example. So, so let's use this situation of the, the, um, that I asked the principal to, to have this meeting. Right. So I, I, 
I made the choice to, to build a connection because it was really, it was, that was really important to me. It's also really important for me to feel like I have a voice. The principal has a voice and my daughter has a voice. We have this meeting and, um, it is very clear to me early on in the meeting that the principal just wants to talk at us. And after the meeting, my husband turns to me and says, you were really quiet in that meeting. And I said, yeah, I was, I made the conscious decision as soon as we stepped in and started like the first five, 10 minutes, that it was clear to me what the meeting was about. And it was not the meeting for me to go in and, and make a stink. This meeting was much more productive because the principal felt seen and heard. And I was able to understand the principal's motivations, both like outwardly and also like the underlying motivations. And I was like, and so that actually was super helpful for me as I think about um, all the key players on this team and what motivates them. It would have been so less productive if I went in like guns blazing and like challenging versus taking a step back, observing what was going on, observing the key players and sort of what motivated them. So that, that as I think about the next meeting, the next meeting after that, the next meeting after that, how do I actually use some of those pieces to my advantage to actually move the ball forward versus um, taking a one size fits all approach. And so to me, advocacy doesn't always, and using my voice doesn't always mean that every meeting I'm going into, I am like going in guns blazing. I'm going in with like, you know, chip on my shoulder. To me, it's really trying to understand all the key players and what matters to them. Mm -hmm. So that as I'm thinking about like each of the individual pieces and players, as we move towards the collective goal, how do I actually move them forward together? And that didn't mean I was a doormat in that meeting. Like I did, I did speak up for, for certain points that were really important, but I did so in a way that was productive versus, um, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, like I, that's not the right word, but yeah. But what I can hear you say is how you, you weren't just being quiet because you were shrinking and when you started telling the story, I was like, oh, she didn't have psychological safety to like have space, but, and sure, maybe she didn't create that space, but it sounded like whether they wanted to or not, that wasn't the intention, but you were able to go, oh, even if I do speak my truth here, now's not the time and place to do that. And I can step back a little bit and really absorb what's going on to get more data rather than just shut down, cut off, stomp your feet out of there and be like, this is not going to work well and get angry and being in the drama triangle. That's exactly it. Um, and as you're talking about advocacy, I just, I really hear you talking about like self-advocacy mm -hmm. rather than this. It's one thing when we're like, we always got to advocate for our children, whatever that is, but the self-advocacy of speaking your truth, learning how to really communicate your needs and desires is we're doing this all the time right? In our homes, in other environments, um, all of that. So reclaiming your voice, as always, your children, your beautiful children, forcing you to reclaim your voice. As always. I just love it. Yeah. I mean, for me, 
reclaiming it's interesting like people always ask me like what do I mean by that so for me like I had I, I had a voice like it's it's not like I was like I never spoke for I was I'm actually a very outspoken person but what was interesting to me was I was really outspoken always in areas that I felt super confident right and to me that was work work I was I was known as a person who would provide feedback would, would be outspoken would would sort of tell people how it was and in my personal life, I, I played small and I had to really reconcile that and try to understand, well, what was it about the, the work situation where I felt really confident? And let's be clear, like not in all work situations, like when I was in, on a new project or a new team, I would obviously take a step back and observe versus, you know, going in with, with guns blazing again. Um, and I think for me, there were so many moments in my life where I just didn't want to rock the boat. I'm the oldest of three kids. Um, my sisters are only are 18 months apart, but I'm four and five years older than them. I came from a big Italian family with very old school beliefs around women and education. And it was just easier for me just to sort of like fly under the radar. And there was a moment where I realized I didn't, that wasn't me anymore. I didn't want to play that role of my life. And so being able to advocate for myself was really important to me as a role model, then how the girls would have to do that. And that was hard because I was, you know, when I made that decision, I was like, six years into my marriage and I was, you know, we'd been together for, I don't even know how many years at that point. Right. And, and, and people knew me in one way, I knew myself in one way. And so I really had to do a lot of work to understand who it was that I wanted or what I wanted to be known for, and then advocate for that, um, in, in all aspects of my life. Interesting. Yeah. It's like the grief, grieving, like mm -hmm. that part of ourselves, that old identity and but yes. not knowing that that is required sometimes. Mm -hmm. So Jesse, I know you and I could talk forever and we will be on the beach pretty soon. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. And I'm sure you'll be emotionally uncomfortable as I will too. Um, Cause that's what we love to do. So where, what are you up to? Where can people find you? I know you have your podcast. What else are you working on? Yeah. So I love, love, love helping women to reclaim their voice and speak their truth in all aspects of their life. So personally, professionally, um, obviously it's something I'm super passionate about. And I just think there's magic in empowering women to really step into their light and ask for what they need. And so I work with women in a one-on-one -on -one capacity. I also um, really believe in obviously the power of connection and storytelling to do this, which is why I love your new format. And so I do a lot of consulting with female-led businesses or entrepreneurs and help them um, connect with our audience in a way that drives impact using storytelling. So you can find me at this is my truth podcast, which is available on all major 
platforms, you can find me at my website at www.jessysherleff.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn at Jess Sherleff. Perfect. Spell your last name. So they want to know Jesse, like J-E-S-S-I. Yeah. And then Sherleff, S-H-U-R-A-L-E-F-F. I really should have stuck with my maiden name. What, what's your main name? Olson. Olson? Yeah. Like that's, that's so much easier. Right? Uh, well, Chauvin is not my legal name. I learned that. It is not people. It's a little sneaky, sneaky, mm-hmm. sneaky. Um, anywho, I'm like tangent rabbit hole. I remember when I learned it with the whole ticket fiasco. Oh Lordy. Yes, yes, yes. Jesse, I love you to pieces. Thank you so much. And ladies go follow Jesse. What is it on Instagram? At this is my truth podcast. Perfect. Go follow her. Let her know that you listen to this and what your takeaway was. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you.